second hour of the Bill Michaels Show. Good to have you today. Thanks so much for taking a listen to us. We appreciate you. Brewers get a win. Nice. Three and one on the season. And, man, were the fireworks going off at American Family Field yesterday, which was just awesome to see. And in addition to that, you had, uh, obviously, uh, you know, a big game last night, UConn getting a win. And uh, what is that, their fifth national title since 1999, Ben, if I'm not mistaken? Is that the, what I read? It's the third since they won with Kemba. It's just man. So it might be three. Okay. I know Jim Calhoun won one or a couple. The fit, yeah, okay, yeah. Pac fan says the fifth since nineteen ninety nine. Oof. They are the uh come you know, blue blood come lately. We talked about no Kansas, no Kentucky, no North Carolina, no Duke, no UCLA, some of those quote blue bloods that are Indiana, you know, Indiana basketball and such. But uh but man, uh oof. UConn has kind of knocked that door down for what they've been able to accomplish. Big time. So congratulations to UConn uh for getting that win. Uh 877-867-1670. Going back to the Carter thing, uh Jalen Carter has uh you know the 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 you know the prospect coming into the NFL draft that had some legal trouble, made the police blotters for all the wrong reasons um, while he was at the Combine, but was supposedly one of the top three to four players in this draft, maybe the top player in the draft, really. But his stock has, at least according to some, has fallen. See, my thing is, if I was going to take him before, he came into the Combine, he was, what did you say, Ben? He was like 20 pounds overweight, right? No, that was his pro day. The combine, that was he, his pro day. Okay. he didn't work out at the combine. And right before he was about to do media is when the new piece of the story dropped from January. Right. From the, okay. from the accident um, in Georgia. Yeah. And then he, he came to his pro in, day way overweight and struggled to finish some of the drills. Right. He came into his, so it was his pro day, but he came in overweight. They have questioned his work ethic. They have questioned his character. And... For all intents and purposes, I mean, he's a hell of a player, but you always wonder when guys are about to come in the money if they just kind of coast, and that raises red flags for teams. And so he has basically stated, you know, in this this way of, we're not talking to anybody outside of the top ten. Well, the other thing to consider is if there will be trades for teams to go into the top ten, you'd be kind of foolish not to talk to teams outside of the top ten that have an interest in you. So I, you know, I, I guess if you want to full, again, it just, it's not a good look. It's another red flag. And for as much as I would love to see this guy, you know, sit alongside Kenny Clark and Avante Wyatt, uh, I'm starting to get a lot of reservations. We've seen guys try to dictate and manipulate themselves in the draft. And when they've done that, they've wanted to control of everything, and they think they're fantastic. And I, I think, if I'm not mistaken, Drew Rosenhaus is his agent. And Rosenhaus, you know, the infamous next question, you know, the, uh, the, the press conference held in the driveway of Terrell Owens as he sat out there and did sit-ups. 
Um, Drew Rosenhaus uh, is a tremendous agent, but there are times where he gets out over his skis as well with big-time names and or players, and it, it, it just turns out to be detrimental. And it's a lot of hoopla. It's a lot of circus. It's a lot of, you know, put up the, the giant tent, come and look at us. But the substance it f- is far drowned out by the hoopla. And you just got to start, you're starting to wonder, okay, is Jalen Carter even, is, is, is he even going to be that good with all of this going on? I got to kind of wonder about it a little bit. Um, I know there's a lot of, you know, questions as to where he's going to go. As a matter of fact, I was looking at some of the, uh, some of the mock draft stuff, and, which I find funny. Uh, you know, today was the big, big drop of Todd McShay, the fourth uh, mock draft. Well, that's great. In other words, he's, you know, I get it. Some teams have signed players, so maybe the needs aren't the same, but it's like all these, suddenly there's all these trades and all this movement and this and that, and this is what's going on, and it never turns out to be right. Um, but the the latest mock draft, uh, by the way, it has Packers taking Miles Murphy, the defensive end out of Clemson, which I would not hate. I would not hate that if that actually happened. But um, Jalen Carter, they have him now going fifth to Seattle. Seattle getting that pick from Denver. Seattle will be an interesting spot here. John Schneider, Coach Pete Carroll would have some uh, difficult questions to answer. How high are they on Levis? And could they take advantage of the draft uh, by selecting a quarterback for the future? But does Texas Tech's Tyree Wilson make sense, considering the edge rusher need right now? Uh, But then they have him taking Jalen Carter, uh, number five overall. Has Jalen Carter just went from, like, the top player in the draft – albeit not the top player selected, but the top two or three, to a guy that was out of the top 15 to now a guy that's now back at number five? Has he moved around that much, Ben, in your eyes, considering that there weren't charges filed or there wasn't um, uh, any kind of jail term that was suggested? It was just they brought him in, they charged him, and they basically let him go. I don't think he ever fell out of the top five to ten. Yeah. The only thing that's really pushed him down is quarterbacks, which always happens. You always have a great defender if there's a good quarterback class move down. But, I I mean, the Pro Day stuff happened a month ago, two months ago. And, yeah, people have raised red flags. I think this is why you have somebody in the organization that would go down to Georgia, talk with the people, see what's going on in terms of the driving and, and the other problems he's had. The the pro day, I, I don't know. I don't know why he even did his pro day if he was that overweight. I would question who advised him to do it. But I go back to watching him on the football field, which I still think matters more than the other stuff. And, I mean, he was the best player in college football by a long shot. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, I, um, I, I he's, he's a hell of a player. But then you start to wonder how good is he? Commitment-wise, and, and again, the NFL is a different animal. And when I was – I sat down one day, and I was talking to B.J. Raji. And B.J. Raji really kind of gave me this incredible explanation, which it's always stuck with me. And he, he was actually sitting with Ryan Pickett at the time. Mm-hmm. And he had said, you know, when you're in college and you're a dominant player, you've got quick feet, you're quicker than just about everybody across from you, 
you've got strong hands, strong upper body, you've got this good move, you know, a move that a lot of guys can't, you know, can't stop. And he said, man, when you get to the NFL, you better have not one good move. You better have 36 to 40 good moves. And he said, because everybody's already seen your best move when you get here. And when he said, as you get to the show, when you get to the show, everybody's already seen your best move. They've seen it from somebody else. So you got to have a move that's got to be accentuated and then another move and another move and another move and another move. And that's where guys get screwed up was they they come in thinking that they're all that because they've had they've had it easy. They've only had maybe one or two guys in their career. That's really giving them trouble. Everybody else, they pretty much dominated. But when you get to the NFL, everybody is NFL caliber. Even guys sitting on the bench are NFL caliber. And, yeah, you're going to probably beat a couple of guys, but instead of beating every guy but two, now you're going to beat two guys out of the 17 guys you're going to face. And it just it's a it's a whole different animal. So I just I wonder where the commitment is. And I, I don't know, Jalen Carter, I couldn't tell you. But when you go back to the, the the obvious, you know, character issues off the field and then coming into the pro day overweight, coming into the pro day and not being really able to complete some of the tasks at hand or barely completing them and being winded and such, you start to go, okay, does this guy get it that he's about to go into the NFL and not only does he have to work, but he's got to work twice as hard to be successful? You, you're just not going to come in as Jalen Carter and go, I'm Jalen Carter, I'm here. Because most of the guys in the NFL are just chomping at the bit to slap you upside the head and say, no, Rook, you're not going to get us. So I, I, that's where I would start. I mean, like I said, I've said all along, I would love to see him fall to the Green Bay Packers. And then the more I read about the guy, I'm kind of like, maybe not. Maybe it might be a blessing in disguise if somebody takes him early. Somebody grabs that guy, you know, love to see Chicago get him, you know? And it just turns out to be just a horrific bust. Somebody says, is the Albert Hainsworth 2.0? Mike says, I predict a bust. I, I'm i starting to lean in that direction. The more he says and the more people that are talking about him and some of the, some of the, some of the issues, I'm kind of leaning in that direction. That when you're trying to dictate everything rather than just letting your talent speak for itself and then wherever you don't go, put a chip on your shoulder and make yourself better than what they have, Rather than telling everybody how, I've always said, you don't have to tell people how great you are. They'll know. They'll know. People know how great you are. Or not. 877-867-1670. I'm all in on him, for the record. Are are you all in on him? Oh, if he's there at 15, it's the easy pick. I mean, not to mention it being, in my opinion, probably the weakest position group. On the team. You know, I'll, I'll say this. When I say it makes it easy if somebody grabs him ahead of time, it's because I don't want to have that decision because I would take him if he was there. A hundred percent. If somebody makes that decision for you, it makes it easy. But it would be hard to pass him up with what you've seen on the field and know that there are work ethic and or character issues that you're going to have to deal with. And if those outweigh mentally the ability to work and have work ethic in the NFL, that's that's not good. Well, you do have some of his former Georgia teammates there. 
I don't know right. how much that means, but it, it can't hurt. And no. then again, I'm no, sure. Devontae, Devontae White and Quay Walker both work with this guy. And Stokes as well. And Stokes. I forgot about Stokes. Um, and, and I'm sure the Packers have people that would go down and do the background check. The work ethic on the field, the football part, I'm not concerned about. Mm-hmm. It's aside from that. But again, when we mention guys that maybe have gotten into driving-related troubles or other problems off the field along those lines, Green Bay is an objectively better place for them than Las Vegas or some right. of the other places. So it could be a factor where you say, okay, it's there isn't as much trouble to find, if you will. And I don't mean that yeah. as, a, as a slight on anything, like, like objectively. You look no, at I, pe- people have said it for a long time. If you're going to go someplace and take away all the temptation or the majority of it, Green Bay uh, is probably going to be it. Which has so, to help, when it comes in to my opinion. Uh, you would hope. Plus, you're a very, very big, big big fish in a small pond, very recognizable. So you don't want to do anything stupid. All that has been, it, the problems that have arisen are driving way too fast related. Mm-hmm. And apparently, the chatter around Georgia is this has been something that has happened more constantly than just that one instance right on the team as a whole so it would be that and yeah i don't and know now in that sense you've had a person die so i think that is now right. <laughs> that it, you hate to have it become something that they quote crack down on but you've had a person die now and i think that there is going to be a uh, um a, a a consensus of crackdown on that kind of behavior I would agree with right, you. Right, and that's on Kirby Smart. And that's objectively tougher than in the pros. I don't mm-hmm. know how contracts are written, but I'm sure there can be something there. Uh, maybe not coming out of the draft because that money is right. kind of uniform. Didn't he lie to the police at the uh, at the scene, too? He lied to the police about what was going on. Now, he lied because, from what I understand, he lied. I mean, obviously, he'd, he'd been doing something illegal, so he lied not to get in trouble. But didn't he, correct me if I'm wrong, didn't he, what wasn't part of the problem was that he lied to the police at the scene? I think so. I don't know for sure. That would okay. have to be something I go back through the story. Yeah. I don't yeah, want to say that, that for part sure. Of it too. Um, eight seven seven eight six seven sixteen seven. Go ahead, Ben. But in the NFL, like the the contracts and the money for the first round picks are pretty uniform. But I'm sure that could be something that's worked out because they're now professionals to say, okay, like you're on the team, but we have a no tolerance policy when it comes to this. And I'm sure they could write something in to say, if you get caught doing this again, then sure. Yeah. It's much easier to crack down in that way than it is in college, right. I'm sure. Yep. Uh, this portion of the program brought to you by our friends over there at Quick Trip. And, uh, you know, I love me some Quick Trip. Quick Trip right now, they've got Quick Trip milk, a uh, two ninety nine a gallon, limit three right now. Limit three. They have the chicken. Oh, my goodness. They have that chicken. Somebody uh, yesterday had, uh, I was uh, out at, uh, I was coming on my way home, and I had stopped in the Quick Trip down uh, off of uh, Moreland Boulevard, and somebody walked past me with a big thing of that crispy chicken. Oh, God, it just smelled so good. I didn't have it last night, but it did smell so good and made my mouth water. Kristen goes, gets it for her kids all the time. As a matter of fact, if you have kids and the kids like chicken tenders, ooh, that's the way to go. Quick Trip Chicken is just absolutely fantastic. No matter what, use your Quick Rewards card. Quick Trip is the place to go. And as they always say, we'll see you next time. More of the Bill Michael Show next. This is the Bill Michael Show on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network.
Jackson, Bill Michael Show. Continuing on. 877-867-1670. 877-867-1670. want to find us, please feel free to go ahead and do so. As uh, now we go over to the uh, the phone lines and uh, bring them in because uh, the draft is right around the corner. Chad Reuter uh, from NFL.com and the draft analyst there uh, now joining us on the hotline. Chad, how you doing? I'm doing great, man. Anytime Rush brings me into a radio segment, I am pumped. So let's go. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Uh, so let, let me let me ask you first and foremost because uh, there is a lot of discussion whether it's C.J. Stroud or Bryce Young. If Bryce Young was say six inches taller, would he be the first overall pick? Um, I mean, possibly, but I think his game would be different um, in terms of. Uh, you know, his uh, part of the, the charm in him is his ability to, you know, be a little more mobile in the pocket um, and things like that, that maybe being 6'3", six, 6'4", six, wouldn't help him. And, and I think, I mean, maybe he'd look more like C.J. Stroud in terms of his overall game. But I, I think I think he's fine being what he is. And uh, I think he wouldn't be, maybe not be the player that he is, you know, um, quote, overcoming overcoming that but um but yeah either way super talented he's got the leadership skills all that stuff so that if that's all maintained then it would be uh you know much more of an interesting uh battle between him and Stroud for sure so as we start to go through this first round now Jalen Carter saying he's only going to talk to teams that are in the top 10 do you see any team outside of the top 10 that would consider maybe trading up to get him yeah, I mean, I've been thinking about that possibility because, um, you know, Philadelphia at 10 is not likely to pick him, um, even though they, you know, maybe could use some more help there. But having just used the pick last year in Jordan Davis, my guess is that they would be interested in picking up other selections if a team wanted to get in there. Um, I think the Jets are maybe the best, you know, possibility for that. Uh, at, at 13, depending on what happens, obviously, with the Aaron Rodgers trade. Um, but I think I think there will be teams that would be interested in, in Carter. Um, you know, another one would be Detroit. Uh, they may not want to use the number six pick on him, but if he's still there at 10, I mean, they showed last year that they're willing to be very aggressive in going out for Jameson Williams going from 32 to 12, which doesn't happen very often. Um, mm-hmm. So, I mean, I think those would be the two teams that I would see you know, moving into that 10 spot for I look at the Green Bay Packers and I think, okay, you need more wide receiver help, but you are are really, uh, you got to, uh, you know, nothing basically over at the tight end position. How deep is this draft when it comes to really good quality tight ends? Uh, you can get one in rounds three or four. And, and I've kind of gone back and forth on my mocks between, you know, picking a uh, Jackson Smith and Jigba at 15 versus a Michael Mayer at 15. Um, and, you know, Dalton Kincaid, the tight end from Utah, certainly in that conversation. Jordan Addison from USC as a, as a receiver is in that conversation. But I, I think um, I think they could go either direction, honestly, because I think you can find, depending on how many uh, second-round picks they end up with after they finally consummate right, right. this trade with the Jets, you can pick up a wide receiver or a tight end in round two. Um, and so I think they'll be able to meet their needs with, um, you know, the plethora of top 40 picks will end up, top 50 picks will end up with. Um, the, well, you mentioned the trade, that if indeed it goes through. Is 
the Packers' demand for the 13th overall pick too high in your mind? Because people t- tend to put a value on it. And you're talking about a premier player that, on one hand, yeah, he's coming to the end of his career. But on the other hand, you haven't been to a Super Bowl since 1969. I mean, what kind of a price tag do you put on that? Yeah, I think, honestly, if they were – I mean, the Jets picked up that second second round pick for a reason. And Green Bay is going to have to make that decision eventually if they're going to say, we don't need the 13 pick if you give us both those, both your second round picks. And the value you get at, at you know, um, in, the, in the 40s, 42 and 43, in this draft, it's not significantly different than 13. I, I think they'll have a real decision to make um, for that if they decide to go, if they say, okay, look, we won't do it. We'll do a conditional round in, in 2024. If you guys, you know, go to a Super Bowl, we get a first-round pick, or however they, you know, structure that. But give us the two second-round picks, and we can find two really good players there instead of getting the one really good player at 13. Yeah, I, uh, I, I'm <laughs> 13 is such a high-end player that you believe at least is going to be a contributor right away versus two seconds that you can say, okay, they may equal that. But if you get one impact true all-pro player in the top 15 in the draft, man, that's that that you need. The, the Packers desperately need that right now, whether it's a wideout, uh, a defender uh, they, to go alongside Kenny Clark and Devontae Wyatt or, or getting themselves a good tight end. Now, like you said, tight end. Uh, is tight end a first, a, a top 13 pick even? Uh, I don't know that you would go that way for that position. But to be honest, typically 13 is not an elite, uh, not necessarily an elite player. Really, the elite players tend to run out within the top 10, 12 picks. And so they may be in a position even at 13 where they're getting a guy that you're really not sure. I mean, he's going to be a, a good starter. But, you know, look, the Packers got Christian Watson at, at what, 34 last year. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't know that he's going to be significantly worse than the guys that were picked, you know, 15 ahead of him. Um, over time, you see that the, the the difference is not always as big. Now, if they get the 13th pick, great, um, and, and that's fine. But at some point, you got to move on in this situation. And you know, again, 42 and 43. Let's just say that you, you at 42 and 43, you get um, Darnell Washington, tied in from Georgia, and then like a Rasheed Rice or a Cedric Tillman at receiver, or you you get another offensive line and an offensive tackle, which you desperately need. Um, there's so many options and tight ends. You've got Luke Musgrave from uh, Oregon State is another possibility there. So you're really going to get good players at 42 and 43. Plus, you can always move up, um, as they did last year for Watson, if a guy falls out of that first round. So anyway, that's that's just the decision they're going to make. If you end up at 13 and you take Jackson, Smith, and Jigba there, and then maybe like uh, one of the offensive linemen fall to you there or um, something like that at, at 15, that's really good too. <laughs> so the, the, right. it's just a decision of how that how they're going to make this trade finally happen. Um, in Jigba was a name that you brought up. Give me your thoughts uh, if he would go uh, say at fifteen to the Green Bay Packers. Well, I think they could pick him at thirteen or fifteen if he's still available. I mean, I think teams will be looking at him even higher than that. If he didn't have this hamstring injury this year, he would probably go top ten without without a question because he is so fluid. He, he adjusts to the ball so well. There, there's a reason that Jameson Williams couldn't get on the field at Ohio State and had to go to Alabama to become the star he did. It's mm-hmm. because a guy like Smith and Jigba got ahead of him. He can play in the slot. He can play outside. Um, 
not, you know, he's not like a four, three speed guy, but he can do everything on the field. And he's really, really a fantastic player. So he would be a great pick for them, you know, anywhere in the first round. I know that in your mock draft, you have Paris Johnson Jr., the, the big offensive tackle out of Ohio State. Talk to me about him real quick, just for the fact that it's it, other than maybe if you get the, the right tackle position, if you're, that's what you're going to solidify and you're going to say, Yash Nyman's going to be a backup, so is Zach Tom, and then yeah. whatever you do with Sean Ryan, you figure it out. So if that's the guy you go with and you're going to fortify that offensive line, then I understand it. But they, you know, if Yash, to me, I, I would think that the Packers would be going into this season telling Yash Nyman, you're the right tackle, Bakhtiari's the left tackle, our offensive line is stable, let's go with other need positions. But you have them taking Paris Johnson Jr., tell me why. I don't think you can – I think last year, if anything, proved that um, you, you can't have too many quality linemen. And Johnson played at right guard his first year at Ohio State, did very well there. Then he moved to left tackle and did very well there. Bakhtiari, you don't know if he's going to be able to stay healthy. You, you just don't. And you don't want to move Elgin Jenkins. He's basically Elgin Jenkins with the first-round version of him. And a guy that you can move to either side of the line like that, and, and you can put him a left tackle, Bakhtiari, you know, can't get the job done there. And Nyman's done a good job at the, you know, no, but I think that's a situation where if he's available at that pick, uh, I don't think you pass him up. I mean, they've talked with him enough already. I mean, the, they have interest. And if he doesn't go top 10, maybe there, guys fall, you know, we, we always don't, you know, we act surprised when, when they don't go when we expect them to, but they always happen. So you get a guy like that or Peter Skaransky from Northwestern, one of those guys that you can plug in anywhere. Um, I, I just think with Jordan Love taking over this team, he needs the best offensive line ahead of him. You, you want to run the ball more with, with Dylan and Aaron Jones. You need the best run blocking guys you can. And I don't think you pass a guy like that up uh, in Paris Johnson if, if he's available. It's uh, it's interesting because it's not a sexy pick uh, because I know people want to see weapons, and it's been such a long time. We talk about it all the time about how they have not taken a wide receiver in the first round since Moses was a baby. So I, I get that. Yeah. Uh, it just seems like, uh, you know, the, the question then becomes, do you want to protect Jordan Love or do you want to give him weapons to throw? You know what I mean? So to right. me, if in Jigba, well, now if it's in Jigba or Paris Johnson Jr., which one would you take? Yeah, I think I think in that – situation it would be hard to turn down Smith and Jigla it would um but uh, again if you don't protect love he can't get the ball to the weapons and and so I think you can find again they're in a good spot where they have you know extra pick in the second or, they, or you know a higher pick in the second round than they normally do maybe a second one from the Jets so you can meet some of these other needs and and the and the offensive linemen there are not going to be as good as the receivers you get there in terms of the relative value. So if you're looking at the draft overall, which a team has to do and, and getting the best players at the best place, I, I think that's, you know, that would be the better, you know, the, the, I understand that play, but boy, it'd be hard to, it'd be really hard to pass up Smith and Jigba. I, I don't know that they can do that. What other, because uh, you start to look at some of the other needs. I think they're going to need another edge rusher, depending on what Rashawn Gary or how long it takes for him to get back. You need a safety, yeah. uh, still depth. You're still going to need corner depth. I don't think there's, you know, now maybe there's priorities of how you would go about it, whether it's an offensive lineman tight end or a wide receiver or somebody up alongside Kenny Clark. But is there a priority list for you for the Green Bay Packers to say this would be kind of the order in which you would like to see the Packers 
you know, be able to fortify that roster? Because I think there's probably five spots you have to add to to make this team viable, and then everything else falls in as depth behind it. Yeah, and that's why a lot of people get into the discussion of whether you pick for need or whether you pick for value. But the, the fact is, is that most teams have three or four spots that they really need guys, either like immediately or a guy's becoming a free agent and you need to build depth now and have him step in. So really, I don't – teams don't – well, teams that know what they're doing don't have a grocery list that's like, okay, aisle one is wide receiver, aisle two is tight end. You have to look at the available players there and say who has the highest among a, a group of needs that, that we have. And, and I think – so I think, you know, offensive line, wide receiver, tight end, safeties and that kind of, I would get safety a little bit later because there's not a lot of value in the first couple of rounds. So I think you can get that in three or four, in round three or four. But hitting those three or four, you know, main spots for them anywhere in rounds one and two, I think you can, you can do that while still getting, you know, the guy that's, quote, you know, at the top of your board at that time. Yeah, and the Packers don't have really pass-catching tight ends at this point. I mean, I know yeah. they wanted to do things with Josiah DeGuara. I just, you know, no Mercedes Lewis, no Robert Tanyan. You're you're suddenly really bereft of talent over there at that position, which to me, yeah. I agree with you, though, and I know people are going crazy, but I agree with you. I don't know if there's a tight end worthy of a mid-first-round pick value-wise. Well, I, you know like, I, mean? I mean, I like Michael Mayer a lot. Uh, and I think if they picked him, he could really become something special. I mean, look, Jason Witten fell to the third round. Um, you know, some of these guys that aren't like super athletes end up falling a bit and they just become really outstanding players. And I think that's what Michael Mayer is going to happen. He's going to maybe get picked in the twenties. Uh, so like if they picked him, I wouldn't be shocked because he, he, you know, he's not the fastest guy of all time. But, look, uh, he gets open. He catches everything. He's a heck of a blocker. And, again, you're trying to protect Love. He can inline block to protect him. He can uh, he can be an excellent run blocker. And so he can do all the things that they need at that position. So he would be the one guy that wouldn't shock me if, if they went that direction. But, again, it's such a deep class. You can get a guy like Washington in the second round. Um, you know, there are so many guys, even in the third, Davis Allen from Clemson may not go until round four or at the end of round three. And, and so there can be 10 guys picked in the first three rounds at tight end, and that never happens. So I think you can get that position a little bit later um, and, and still find a guy that's going to immediately contribute. Um, and by the way, this is probably a team that's going to rely on some undrafted free agent rookies to come in and contribute as, in, as a second, you know, second, third teamers. And so mm-hmm. it, I mean, they're going to really have to find some guys at that because they really need depth, like you said, at, at tight end yeah. and receiver. They just don't have bodies. So Right. No, I completely, I completely agree with that. Chad, always a pleasure, bud. I appreciate it, and we'll talk soon, okay? Yeah, sounds great. Thanks for having me on. All right, buddy. Talk to you later. There you go. Chad Reuter from uh, NFL.com joining us for a couple of minutes on the hotline talking some draft analyzation when it comes to the overall draft and then obviously the Green Bay Packers plays in it. Uh, I'll say this. And and he said it, and people on the stream are saying it. You know, it's all oh, it's a deep draft. It's deep. It's deep. It's deep. And the last time we heard that was about outside linebackers, and all of a sudden you're scrambling. You know, because everybody says it's deep until it's not. You get a couple of teams, two, three teams that take the high-end quality off the board in, quote, a deep class, and suddenly you're left scrambling. Because deep means that there's probably seven to ten guys that are fortifiable. There's only one or two that are really what you would consider to be 
you know, maybe not even home runs because I, I consider a home run a Travis Kelsey or a George Kittle in this draft, and there's not. So there's there's some guys that are pretty good, and then there's a lot of other depth guys. You can say, yeah, they would fit systems. They're decent pass catchers, decent run blockers, but nobody that just stands out as an overall unbelievable talent. So it's deep until it's not. And it only takes two or three teams to make that pool not deep. And hopefully that's a decent explanation. But after that, I don't think there's a whole lot of that that tight-end talent that's suddenly first-round talent or high-end second-round talent, to be honest. So I, uh, the whole tight-end thing makes me a little bit nervous when you start banking on that talent in the draft. Is that, do you, you kind of get the same sense, Ben, looking at the draft and the depth of tight-end position? That There's some decent players, don't get me wrong, but it's it, you know to say it's deep doesn't mean that you've got ten guys that, of any of which could go in the first round of the draft. No, but deep could mean that if you're picking in the second, you know that the options there aren't far from number one or what mm-hmm. you would get in the first round. Like there's right. there's the top heavy draft where there's the guy and then a bunch of nobodies. Then there's the deep where they're all kind of similar, and that's what I feel like right. this is. The weird thing is with the uh, draft as a whole is. It's not very deep top to bottom with every position because of what COVID did to college football, where you have a lot mm-hmm. of guys that are still playing instead of coming out, and NIL as well. Right. So it's it's weird. The, the talent, I think, will really start to come out more so in the next couple of years. 877-867-1670. Hit us up again, 877-867-1670. You want to find us, please feel free. Go ahead and do so. Hey, when we come back, uh, I want to talk about the Brewers and their payroll. And what was stated yesterday uh, regarding Mark Antanasio talking about the reduction of payroll as far as their place in Major League Baseball. We'll get into that discussion. This portion of the program brought to you by our friends at Stoley's Hog Alley out in Lake Country and Stoles Old 109 up in Watertown. They have the best fish fry with that salted rye bread, which is so fantastic. So if you're looking for a great place to go for a fish fry, that's it. Great atmosphere, inside and outside seating. And I noticed I was driving past their uh, Stole, uh, Stoley's Hog Alley today. The uh, the railings are up, and they're just waiting on uh, putting the sails up on the uh, on the deck, and that is going to be just beautiful. They have great burgers and pizza and just an awesome staff and televisions everywhere. So check out our friend Stoley's Hog Alley and Stoles 0109. Stoley's Hog Alley and Oconomowoc and Summit, Stoles 0109. Out in Watertown. Take on tell them we said hi. Ready? This is the Bill Michael Show on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network.